Hello and welcome back to Take 97, a film podcast with me, your host, David Ingram. Today, we welcome you back to part two of the Star Wars bonanza, as I might want to call it. I don't know what I was going to say then, but we'll go with it anyway. Uh, so this is the part two to a three-part series of episodes in which I will be looking at with help from a special guest at the Star Wars franchise. Specifically, we'll be looking at the Skywalker saga. We've already looked at the original trilogy, so we're going in release order here. So we've looked at A New Hope, Empire Strikes Back, and Return of the Jedi and had a little nerd out about the differences between the brand new editions and some other edits of the film because obviously they've been the most tampered with over the years etc if you want to learn more go back to that episode now if you've already missed it uh just check that out but today if you're a fan of these ones you're in for a treat so probably the ones that stick in most people's minds especially the age of the internet and internet memes about a specific film which we will get back to later uh this episode focuses on star wars episodes one two and three so that's phantom menace attack of the clones and revenge of the sith and these ones are the ones that i personally remember the most growing up as a kid uh getting toys for uh, i don't think i saw any of them in the cinema but i remember the anticipation to get the dvds to match the set <laughs> that i had already that my dad already had uh, but this is honestly it's going to be some fun there's some funny moments lots of people hate them lots of people have a strange love for them and me and my guest today will be continuing that discussion and just to welcome him back that is jack parker who was on the last episode and will be joining me again for this one how are you doing today jack you're right um, i'm doing very well i've been looking forward to this I'm really like the prequels, even though I love the originals, as you say, we, we grew up on the prequels. So they're definitely more fun to talk about because there's there's a lot of nostalgia and love for them. They were certainly my favorites growing up when I got into Star Wars. And obviously, as I mentioned last week, my first memory of Star Wars is a small scene from The Phantom Menace. So I have a, like a soft spot for the film just because of that as well. So. Yeah, I'm uh, looking forward to us talking about them. Yeah, exactly. It's funny, actually, because we, we talk about these films, and like I mentioned just briefly there, lots of people, there are lots of people who are like, oh my God, the prequels suck. And there are things in the prequels that we don't like, and we think, yeah, that wasn't exactly the best thing. But when you look back at them, really, for the time that they were released and the age that they were done in, really, they are actually quite groundbreaking for what they were trying to achieve and, you know, the vision was there as well. So, you know, we'll get into that just later. Uh, but this episode, basically, we're just going to go through each of the films. So uh, let's just kick it off with Phantom Menace. So episode one, as it were, uh, going right back to the beginning of how Darth Vader became Darth Vader. I'll say that now. That's just a little hint for what's to come. And if you weren't aware of this already, spoilers will be coming. So please do not listen if you have not seen these films. But then again, who are you if you haven't seen these films? Jack, do you want to take it away to break down the first film and tell us what it's about? Sure. Um, I'll also give the warning that during our discussion, there will be spoilers for not only these films, but for the expanded Star Wars media, like the Clone Wars shows and stuff. So if you have not seen uh, those things, then there'll be spoilers for those as well, because I can't help but bring them up. Anyway, so, so episode one, The Phantom Menace. So we begin... Episode one was released in uh, 1999 on May. Well, May 19th is the official release, but there was an early screening in Los Angeles on May the 16th, directed and written by George Lucas this time. And the music once again was done by John Williams. Uh, this time starring, we have Liam Neeson as 
Qui-Gon Jinn. We have Ewan McGregor as Obi-Wan Kenobi, so a younger Ben slash Obi-Wan from the original trilogy, originally played by Sir Alec Guinness. We have Natalie Portman as Padme or Queen Amidala. Once again, spoilers, it's revealed during the film that she was the queen all along. That's one of the plot points. We have uh, the young Jake Lloyd as a young Anakin Skywalker. We have Ahmed Best as Jar Jar Binks. Ian McDermott returning as Sheev Palpatine. Anthony Daniels returning as C-3PO. Kenny Baker returning as R2-D2. We also have Penilla August as Shmi Skywalker. Frank Oz returning as Yoda. And Samuel L. Jackson as Mace Windu. He's not very important to this film, but he is introduced in this film. So I thought I'd mention that he's there. He's absolutely uh, badass to the extreme. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, of course, it's Samuel L. Jackson. Isn't it? Of course it is. Anyway, continue. Uh, so the actual uh, plot of the film is we begin with our new Jedi. Well, there isn't really a main character. One of the criticisms of Phantom Menace is there isn't really a solid main character. But we'll say it's Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon. We follow their journey in this film. So we begin on them and they are conducting a trade dispute above the planet Naboo with the Trade Federation. They're actually very important to the prequels. So you'll need to remember who they are. And the negotiations don't go very well because the Sith Lord Darth Sidious, the future emperor um, of the galaxy, is manipulating the Trade Federation into doing his bidding and they have a secret deal. It's not explained very well in the film, but if you do want to know what the deal was about, I'd recommend the book Darth Plagueis by James Lucino. It goes into great detail about the Palpatines and the Sith grand plan, and also about Darth Plagueis, which is mentioned in Revenge of the Sith, which was Sidious's Sith master. So we then follow the, uh, the Jedi onto the planet of Naboo, a new planet introduced in the film where we meet Jar Jar for the first time, very controversial character. He's also the first completely CGI character in a movie. So he's actually very groundbreaking. The Federation launches a droid army attack onto the planet Naboo or the, the city of Theed where the queen is captured and they take over the city. The Jedi go in, they rescue the queen and escape but their ship gets damaged, so they have to make a stop on Tatooine from the original trilogy. There they meet Anakin Skywalker. They need parts for their ship. The uh, trader, Watto, that they find is the only one in town that has the piece they need, doesn't accept Republic credits. So they decide to make a bet where Anakin will enter a pod race. He's the only human that can do it. He's showing latent force powers. And they make a bet that if he wins, Anakin can win his freedom because he's a slave to Watto. And uh, so, and the parts will be given over to Qui-Gon. If they lose, they lose the ship. So it's a, a big risk, but Qui-Gon trusts in the force and Anakin wins the race, which wins his freedom. And he has to leave his mother behind as she's still a slave. So that's a big, that's an important thing to Anakin's character. You then, they then return to the capital of uh, the Republic Coruscant where the Jedi test Anakin's abilities in the Force, but they think he's too old and too emotionally attached to his mother to join the Jedi Order. So they're very reluctant to train him. In the prequels, it's established that Jedi start off very young. They're taken from their families as children, so they have formed no emotional attachments at all. Obviously, in Empire Strikes Back, Yoda mentions that you know, oh, Luke's too old to begin the training. And we thought, oh, it's because he's an adult. But no, apparently it was because he's not, you know, three years old. 
it's because he's already formed emotional attachments in his life, which is a very risky thing for a Force user, as we'll see in the prequels with Anakin. Because if you form emotional connections with people, that can uh, affect your decision making. And the way the Force works is if you start using it selfishly and you walk down the path of the dark side, you will become addicted to the quick and easy path, which is eventually what happens to Anakin, unfortunately. During this film, we're also introduced to Darth Maul, the Sith apprentice of Darth Sidious. Obviously, Sidious doesn't have Darth Vader as his apprentice as he does in the originals yet. So he currently has this new character, Darth Maul, that looks very interesting with uh, red and black Sith tattoos all over his body. Very intimidating, horns on his head. He's a new species called Zabrak that's introduced in this film. He also has a double-bladed lightsaber or a saber staff, which is the first time on screen we've seen one of those as well, even though there was one in the uh, comics by, from a former Jedi turned Sith called Exar Kun that had one first. It's interesting to see it portrayed on screen for the first time. So the Jedi and Queen Amidala return to Naboo. They team up with Jar Jar's people, the Gungans, and form an alliance to defeat the droid army. After creating a distraction, uh, the team splits off. You have fighters going into space to destroy a, the droid control ship, which is where the negotiations took place at the start of the film. And if they blow up the ship, the droids deactivate and they win. Uh, Anakin sit, uh, unfortunately gets sent up into space by accident after sitting in one of the Naboo starfighters for protection. Uh, it goes into autopilot and flies him up there. After regaining control of the ship, along with the help of R2-D2, he manages to fly inside the uh, droid control ship and fire missiles into the reactor, which causes the ship to blow up, which uh, mirrors the Death Star's destruction. Of course, it was more accidental than purposeful with Luke's uh, you know, victory in his yeah. first film. But the way George Lucas put it, it's poetry so that it rhymes and hopefully it'll all work, which I, th I think it did just yeah. about work there. No, I, I agree. I think it does work quite well, actually. It's a nice bit of symmetry overall with that one. I think, you know, it could be seen as quite cliched and quite, oh, look, it's the same as the first film and this is a new first film. But I do think, like like you say, like George says, it's poetry at the end of the day. And I think it, it it's the right balance so it works just well, uh, just well enough to make it less cringy, but more poetic, as you say. The uh, Jedi engage with Darth Maul. So we've got Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan versus Darth Maul during this battle. And unfortunately, Qui-Gon uh, is killed by Maul after Obi-Wan gets separated from the two of them. Obi-Wan then defeats Maul and cuts him in half. Now, for years, we assumed that that was the end of Darth Maul and that he was dead. There were fan theories and even a graphic novel that, that said that he came back with robot legs. But uh, during the airing of the Star Wars The Clone Wars animated 3D series from 2008, I believe it was around 2011, that they brought Darth Maul. They confirmed that he was still alive. Uh, they also introduced he had a brother called Savage Opress that finds him. And they heal his legs with like robotic ones, heal his damaged mind, because for years he survived on his hatred for Obi-Wan because he wants revenge against him for humiliating and obviously cutting off his legs. So Maul does have a future in Star Wars from The Phantom Menace, although he doesn't reappear in the prequels. He's unfortunately not reintroduced until 
the prequels were done and over with. So we, we won't be seeing him again in these uh, next two films. But he is very important in the background, uh, especially during the Clone Wars show. But the, the, basically, the film ends with the celebration on Naboo. The background also was that uh, Palpatine, uh, who was the senator of Naboo, manipulates the queen into a vote of no confidence in the, in the Republic Senate in Chancellor Valorum for not helping them fast enough. A vote is done and Palpatine is voted in as the new Supreme Chancellor. And of course, Palpatine is the future emperor of the galaxy that we see in Return of the Jedi and Empire Strikes Back. So this is him taking his first steps to achieving the Sith grand plan of taking over the galaxy and killing off the Jedi. So we see that beginning to happen. And obviously it shows off his manipulative skills. And the film ends with a big celebration on Naboo with the Gungans and the Jedi and all the Naboo people celebrating peace because they came together and defeated the Trade Federation and the droids. And it also ends with Obi-Wan fulfilling his final promise to Qui-Gon when Qui-Gon died, which was to train Anakin as a Jedi and Yoda uh, reluctantly agrees to this to take place because Obi-Wan was basically going to do it with or without the Jedi Council's permission because of it being Qui-Gon's dying wish. Of course, that then leads to, you know, they predict that Anakin was going to be a problem. And of course, he, he definitely was. One. <laughs> so, uh, but that leads, it leads into that. Yeah. It also establishes, uh, important for the next film, that Padme, the former queen of Naboo, also queens get elected on Naboo uh, rather than it being a royal lineage. You, If you come from like a, uh, I don't know how to say it, like an upper class house it like or family, like you're in for the running, mm-hmm. but there is no royal family on Naboo. So Padme is not queen in the next film. She's now the Senate. She takes Palpatine's old position as senator by that film. Mm-hmm. But what this one does is establish that Anakin and Padme have met each other, even though there's a bit of an age gap between the, uh, between the two. He's, uh, I believe, nine years old in this film, and she's about 14, 15. So very young for a queen. But there's uh, a bit of an age gap there. And uh, but it establishes that they both know each other and care for each other in this film, which leads yeah. to their romantic future in the next two films. And what I would say as well, the other thing, which you, the last thing I'll say about that that is set up for the next one, is the harrowing words at Qui-Gon's, well, I don't want to say funeral, but yeah, basically the end of Qui-Gon Jinn. But then you get Yoda and Sam Jackson. They're sat looking very serious and very like, very morose uh, as as you'd expect and there's a great line where Yoda's like there is always two I think it's either Yoda or Mace Windu I can't remember which one it actually is that says it it's it's uh, it's Yoda and they establish in this film the rule of two which means there can only be two Sith at one only two uh, always two there are a master and an apprentice yeah Um, and then Mace Windu asks him well which one was killed the master or the apprentice and we get a nice pan to Palpatine watching Qui-Gon burn at the funeral because obviously (laughs) it was the apprentice that got killed not not him so (laughs) it's a little hint what's funny uh a little trivia from when the prequels came out is people were not sure if Palpatine was Sidious it seems really obvious now and yeah it really is obvious but a lot of people questioned it up until revenge of the sith when it's officially revealed people were not sure and the main reason for this was ian was not credited 
as Darth Sidious in this film. In the credits, it says Darth Sidious was played by himself. <laughs> so it actually trolled everyone. That's because actually he was, quite funny. Yeah, because he was obviously credited as Senator Palpatine, but not as um, Darth Sidious. Darth Sidious. Uh, also, you'll, you may notice me slip up and call him Sheev Palpatine. Sheev is his first name. It wasn't actually established as his first name until after Disney bought the film. So for ah, years, right. Palpatine's first name was never revealed. And he would, uh, even in the Darth Plagueis novel I recommended earlier, Plagueis asks him, why do you call yourself Palpatine? Because that's his family name and he loathes his family. And he was like, oh, I do it. It's basically, he chooses to refer to himself by his family name out of spite. And out yeah. of like, I... I'm proud of myself and I am what my family should be, not my idiot father and everyone else. So that's why he calls himself Palpatine. And of course, his real name is Darth Sidious because your Sith name is your true name yeah. when it comes to being a Sith. So he doesn't really care that much because, of course, you know, it's he'd Palpatine. much rather be yeah, he would much <laughs> rather be referred to as Sidious. So Moving on slightly from that, but still staying with The Phantom Menace just quickly before we move on to the next film. Um, personally, for me, before I ask you what you're, you've already sort of touched on some of your favorite moments anyway and bits that you're very enthusiastic about. Um, but for me personally, um, episode one, like I sum it up in a matter of words. There's like young Anakin, the speed race with young Anakin, Darth Maul's presence, uh, Jar Jar Binks, that's all I'll say. Uh, and then uh, Qui-Gon Jinn. That's, those are the things that I associate with episode one. Um, I don't tend to really, not acknowledge, but Obi-Wan Kenobi, to me personally, Hugh McGregor, he does a great job. Lots of people love him and such, but and I love him as well. But I really think he's definitely suited in the, situated in the side character role in this film. There's no question that by the time, obviously, you start to see that Qui-Gon is on the way down and obviously as soon as he does die we do get this sense of you know Obi-Wan taking up the gauntlet but I do feel like whilst his presence is throughout the film you don't really get to know Obi-Wan as much or as seriously as you do in the following films and but yeah Obi-Wan I feel like he in my head I just don't think about him Padme obviously makes an appearance her first appearance in this and you get to know all the other characters and loathe some of them if you're a Jar Jar Binks hater and various other things. But as you say, Jar Jar Binks was actually the first fully animated character, like CGI character anyway. Yeah, um, I mean, it, if you like Gollum from Lord of the Rings, you, you have Jar Jar to thank for it because without Jar Jar, there'd be no Schmeagol or Go uh, Gollum. So. Exactly. That is exactly yeah. the point. Going back to what I would say, so my favourite points from this, I love the battle between... So you have Obi-Wan, Darth Maul, and Qui-Gon Jinn, the three of them. I love that, that sword play, because I feel that's the sort of battle that we, or like little fight scene that we would wish to have happened in the originals between Obi-Wan and Darth Vader in the originals. Because um, when you look back at it, it's all with purpose and such, and that Obi-Wan gives in and sacrifices himself. The fight isn't exactly very athletic then but then again on one hand on one hand you can say because he's an old man he may probably not be as athletic but then again that did not stop yoda uh, <laughs> but i do well, think we'll see that in the next film yeah. uh, yes and we will see that in the next film because yoda is actually quite an old little green guy and uh he's very flexible um but we'll get back to that in a minute but my just to recap basically yeah the 
fight scene between Maul and the two Jedi. I love that. It's just the greatest thing ever. Like you say, Jar Jar, everyone has lots to thank Jar Jar for, as annoying as he is. It's weird. Like, I feel like he's definitely the most controversial from the film. He definitely is because people got on board with Yoda speaking backwards, yet they can't get on with Jar Jar Binks speaking absolute nonsense sometimes. (laughs) I don't, I don't quite get it. On one hand, like, you're all for a little tiny green guy, goblin guy looking guy who speaks in backwards phrases sometimes. And then you've got a credible alien here that's like all CGI realized, you know, really groundbreaking for the time. And you don't like him. Like I can understand how annoying he can be to some people because he's, he is the comedy factor in the film along with the, um, the, the droids, the Roger, 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 Roger. That's the one thing that will stick with me throughout the whole prequels is Roger, Roger. Oh, Uh, I mean, that's the battle droid thing, isn't it? The battle droid thing. Like, and to be honest, I took great pleasure in playing Lego Star Wars and beating the absolute crap out of those things. Absolutely, oh, my favorite thing. Favorite actually, thing. The first mission on Phantom Menace, I used to play a lot, just uh, on Lego styles, just to, like you say, just cut them up. Yeah, and, it's really it's... Fun. and to fight the droidicas as well. A few things I'll bring up with because you brought up the lightsaber duel. Yes. Um, the lightsabers in the basically George Lucas is known for directing people to say faster and more intense. That's his uh, main piece of advice, and he wanted that for the lightsabers. So uh, Nick Gellard is the person to thank for coming for being the choreographer of the prequel lightsabers. But we also have to thank the actor for Darth Maul, Ray Park, who actually gave us the saber staff as Maul has it with the extended hilt with it being twice as long um, because he could do better movements with it like that. So that's why they changed it to Mm. be longer. Unlike the original one that uh, XR Kun had in the comics, um, yeah. They made it longer so that he could perform more maneuvers. And uh, obviously, uh, when I listed everyone at the start, I forgot to mention Ray Park is Darth Maul. But a lot of Maul's uh, lines and character were removed from the film. And I know Peter, it was Peter Serafin, which did the actual voice. In, in, yes. Only in The Phantom Menace, though, uh, did he do the voice. We now have Sam Witwer doing the voice of Darth Maul, who is mostly known for Darth Maul these days, but he also played Galen Merrick, a.k.a. Starkiller, from the two Forced Unleashed games um, from the um, late to early... uh, Yeah, late 2000s? Yeah, 2008, and I think 2010 was the second game. So, yeah, um, but he's now Maul's voice. So if you see Maul, even on screen in Solo, Ray Park was the body, but they got um, Sam to do the voice. Ah, yeah, that's cool. yeah, so Maul is a bit more of a comp- complicated character to put together. Um, not as fancy as, you know, David Prowse being dubbed over by James Old Jones for Darth Vader, but it's a no, similar thing. Similar thing. And, uh, you know, and obviously they move with the times because obviously lip syncing, it's not a new thing by any means, but I feel like for the new era of digital filmmaking, like to be able to precisely match a voice to someone's lips that's not, say for musical purposes which is majority of the time why why dubbing was used in classic hollywood you know with darth vader you never saw his voice move so you know you could have got anyone to voice darth vader so you know and it wouldn't have mattered or any syncing issues i know you could have done it back then anyway but like i feel like that was the next level seeing someone with an even more impressive voice but with the face to match 
Do you have, before we continue on to the episode two, do you have any other fun facts at all about The Phantom Menace or anything else you'd so, like to say about yes. it? So a couple of things, I'll, I'll go over some of the changes that have happened over the years. So there is no special edition for the prequels that we talked about uh, last week with the originals. However, there have been changes. So in the first release of Phantom Menace, Yoda was a puppet like in the originals. Ah, yes. But in Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith, Yoda is an entirely CGI character like Jar Jar. And this is because Yoda actually uses a lightsaber and fights in the next two films, which was controversial as well. So what they did was to keep continuity with those films so it's not as jarring when you watch the prequels, is they replaced the puppet Yoda with CGI on the Blu-ray in 2011. And since then, on Disney Plus and the re-releases on Blu-ray that Disney have put out, it's the CGI Yoda that you see. Other changes are very minor, obviously color, a few color corrections. When they use force speed at the start of the film, there's more blur. And the, when you see the droidicas run out, uh, you know, uh, shoot after them, they're on a display screen in the original. It's like a half shot over the shoulder of um, the uh, Trade Federation members, like Viceroy Gunray. Instead, it's a wide shot. So it's a, there's not that, those are the only two changes, well, only handful of changes I could find from The Phantom Menace. So for the most part, it's the same as, as you watched it in the theater. What I will say is uh, a few facts that I found out was so George started writing The Phantom Menace in all the way back in November of 1994. So the film didn't come out until 1999. You know, he had been writing it and working on it for a very long time. The name wasn't revealed until September 1998, which people were concerned by. The Phantom Menace is a very unique title. Um, also, for those who have never worked it out, The Phantom Menace is Sidious. Yes, so, because, uh, he, because he's, he's, he's in the shadows. He's yeah. the menace. He's causing all the problems. He's on both sides, and that only gets worse. So, and it's the uh, one thing that I never used to pick up on either. Like Attack of the Clones, very self-explanatory. Revenge of the Sith, very explanatory. But like upon first viewing, you don't really think, oh, because whenever I used to think of the Phantom Menace, I used to think, oh, is that, that, that must refer to Maul. But no, it doesn't. It doesn't. Well. It doesn't quite make sense, does it? You think it should be that, but it's not because he is out in the open and that like he's not exactly hidden away. He does make his presence known. So, you know, obviously now we know. <laughs> the, uh, the other things I found out was what was funny is we, these days we have a lot of there'll be films that the first time they see you get to see the trailer for a film is before another film. Most recently to the recording of this, to see Avatar, the second Avatar by James Cameron's trailer, you had to watch Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness in its first, I think it was five days. Yeah, um, I think it was. Yeah. This you got to see this trailer first before it was put online. So Phantom Menace did the same thing and it was famous for people paying to see this. I can't remember, what I couldn't find what the film was called, but people were going to see a film to see the trailer and then walk out uh one of the worst ones was 300 people paying to do it and all, all walking out That's the mad. uh the second trailer obviously this is early internet remember in in of march 1999 when if you wanted to watch a video on the internet you couldn't do that you had to download it to your computer first and the first sorry the second trailer was downloaded over a million times in its first 24 hours which was unheard of at the time and had got to 6.3 million in three weeks. So back then that was insane. 
one of the funny things I found out actually was the day of release of the Phantom Menace, the US economy lost $2.93 million because that many people called in sick to work to go see it. So that's how much they got they lost that much money. Um, obviously, in the grand scheme of things for the whole economy of the US, that's not so bad. No. But $3 million was lost because people wanted to see a Star Wars film. Oh my God! Um, it, made, it made twenty-eight million on its opening day, which was which beat Jurassic Park that had held the record since its release. Oh my God! Um, That's just mad. It was also the first film to make ten million dollars in its first five days. Oh my God! Well, I mean, to be fair, the record speaks for itself. To be fair, there, but the fact that the that there's a report about the economy, American economy, losing money because everyone wanted to see Star Wars. That yeah, is I think just, that's hilarious. That is really, oh my God. That's almost like, oh, can you imagine? I don't think it, Britain wouldn't have that, would they? I don't know what the equivalent of Britain that would I be mean, in I, the UK. I would assume, I, I mean, maybe people took days off work, but I doubt it's not as a cultural phenomenon in the UK as it is no. in the States. Nah. Because it is an American film. Obviously, a few things about the film that was controversial, other than Jar Jar being a very the obvious one character, yeah. was people said there was too much CGI. And I personally, CGI for the most part holds up. But mm. what many, many people may not know, even those who are fans of these movies, The Phantom Menace actually uses more practical sets than all three original trilogy films put together. There were, even though there's CGI, yeah. a lot of it was real. Obviously, a lot of people didn't like Phantom Menace the way it was. They say it was too childish. It was all over the place. So it became famous for the first people were not it was not common for fans to re-edit films or make their own versions. These days it's very common. There's edits of the Lord of the Rings, The Hobbit, Star Wars films. And the most popular edit that went around was called The Phantom Edit. And it, it edited out it, I think it removed about 20 minutes from the film and removed a lot of Jar Jar scenes. There were some famous edits as well in the um, early 2010s that were on YouTube before they got took down called the anti-cringe edits of the prequels that removed a lot of the jokes and basically made Jar Jar a non-English speaking character, which allowed hmm. them to rewrite his dialogue and make him less silly. Yeah. Um, so that also became very popular. The other thing that this uh, series sprung, which is very famous on YouTube, is the Red Letter Media mr plinkett reviews with the phantom menace being the first one that they ever did which basically deconstructed the plot and stupidity i guess of phantom menace and then they went on to do the next two prequels and i believe they did the force awakens as well and that became a very when people got into bashing the prequels and saying that they were bad people would point to those reviews as a example of well, just watch this video and you'll realize how terrible this movie is. Luckily, in the recent years, those of us like me and David who have grown up on the prequels that have always liked them to some degree, we accept they have flaws. There's a new resurgence of love for the prequels. But the people who have always loved the prequels, especially, I would say, Revenge of the Sith. Oh, yes, is, absolutely. Um, they have said, you know, the films aren't perfect, but they are good films. You're, you're denying what's there. And you clearly just didn't understand what George Lucas was trying to do. And well, I know it's no comparison, really. But like, I know, I think in several years time, 
people like us know anyone who's into like Marvel movies. There are a lot of there are lots of people like, for instance, the biggest one, Martin Scorsese, who bashes superhero films to death, being like, oh, they're just a, a theme park. They're not really cinema and all that. And, you know, I feel like whilst yes it's it's a similar kind of thing but for a new age of people it's the superhero cycle whereas you know the prequels we had people like you say criticizing them for the fact that oh you know there's flaws here and there and picking up on them and making those the main criticisms even though there's nothing truly wrong with the films other than a few minor flaws which you can look past and the films are still enjoyable i feel the same will happen with many people in the future who have criticized specific Marvel movies or just in general, the superhero genre overall, but that's something to think on a little bit less Star Wars related, but I do get that similar effect these days with certain people and more snobby side of the filmmaking industry. Uh, But yeah, definitely Star Wars, the Phantom Menace definitely owes a little bit more gratitude every now and again than it has got over the many years. But the biggest criticism was Anakin didn't have siblings. And if you remember in the original, well, where does Uncle Owen and Aunt Beru come from? Because if it's Luke's aunt and uncle, are they his mother's siblings? Uh, How does that work? So a lot of people were worried that George had forgotten that he needed to introduce these characters. Uh, Luckily, in the film that we're about to get into next with Attack of the Clones, he does answer that question. Um, which is good because that would have been a bit concerning to for him to have forgotten that, oh, yeah, Luke needs an aunt and uncle. <laughs> it would so, have been uh, very, very awkward being like, oh, yeah, at the last minute, if they have just tagged it into a Revenge of the Sith, being like, um, yeah, there's these people. Yeah, we'll just accept that they're there or we just won't I do mean, it. There, <laughs> there are many ways they could have done it, but I'm glad that he does actually cover it in Attack of the Clones. Um, before yeah. One final thing before we move on. What would you rate the Phantom Menace? Uh, me personally, strangely for me, I think that I would rate it a solid four out, four out of five, I'd say. Yeah, four out of five, because it is really enjoyable. It does really enhance the Star Wars universe and does a really good job of it in places. Yes, the only reason I've sort of dropped it down to only four and four only is yeah it's not even for Jar Jar Binks as a character like yeah he's annoying but he's not really the main reason as you say there's like the points that we brought up you've brought up as well about the whole inconsistencies here and there and little tiny things which mean I wouldn't say it's a perfect film but at the end of the day it's very enjoyable and I think it stands on its own whilst it is the beginning of Anakin's journey from Jedi youngling Padawan thing into evil Darth guy as I'm gonna simplify into now he's gonna it's um sorry I've always wanted to just simplify really funny Uh, (laughs) but I do think that it was his beginning of a journey it is easily the most standalone film ever you can watch it and feel like you don't actually have to watch the next part to find out what happens although there is the foreshadowing of where is the master who was dead the apprentice or the master we do get that continuity hope with celebrations at the end exactly uh, exactly it's the end to the the naboo plot what about what about you just quickly what would you rate it so i would if we were doing we're doing out of five right so i would give it a four as well if we were doing 0.5s it would drop to a 3.5 ah fair um so it's not a perfect film however it's uh, the world building where 
you know, Coruscant was originally, the name was taken from Heir to the Empire, the Expanded Universe novels, yeah, and was brought into this film almost exactly the way it was described. Obviously, when we, we're about to get into Attack of the Clones, which reveals what the Clone Wars is actually about and, and is way off what people expected. So by in this film, I like that they establish the Republic and the way it works and that it is corrupt and it's not perfect. And you can see, you know, Sidious taking advantage of that and how he manipulates everything together. And uh, especially after reading Darth Plagueis, it really makes you appreciate the Phantom Menace more. If you, you know, like I said earlier, if you don't think you understand the Phantom Menace, read that book. And then you'll understand why Palpatine does the things that he does and why the Trade Federation does what they do. Yeah. The things that you go, why are they acting like this? Why are they doing that? All those things that you don't quite, there wasn't enough time to explain on screen that George didn't have time to explain on screen. Yeah. Um, you, you can understand more if you read the book. So exactly. I, yeah. So I think I like the movie more now than I, than I did simply because I, I understand it more than I did when I first watched. And I think you can apply that to any film really these days, isn't it? You might love it the first time, then absolutely hate it by the time you get older. Or like you say, the reverse, you learn to appreciate it more with time. And I think segueing now into part two of this episode, Attack of the Clones, we've mentioned it already. We've mentioned the fact, obviously, it's got a lot of CGI. And I mean a lot of CGI. <laughs> like people criticize the CGI in Phantom Menace, but really they had another thing coming when it comes to the second installment in the prequel trilogy. So Star Wars Episode Two: Attack of the Clones, um, it does what it says on the tin. Um, essentially, for everyone who was probably wondering, where did the stormtroopers come from? The birth of the stormtroopers, where did they come from? I mean, they weren't called stormtroopers to start with, as we will now establish but they were they are clones they're a clone army uh, and that is basically the premise of the film in short jack will give you a little bit more detail about some specific points in a second but essentially this plot it carries on the story from the phantom menace we see an older version of anakin who is now well and truly under the wing of obi-wan um, who's taken him under his wing for training as a jedi master uh, and this film i think is probably the most famous one for hearing uh, well, criticism specifically about how whiny Anakin is. Uh, people say it about Revenge of the Sith as well, but this one in particular, he's very whiny in some respects. And right, the dialogue so, isn't the best. It's, it's not the best. Like I feel like in terms of, like you say, it's not the best dialogue. The film takes a step back in terms of how well it's crafted from a script point of view compared to The Phantom Menace, but then you know, they're trying to advance themselves with the likes of this, you know, more CGI because, you know, George at this point is currently like, he's having a love child with a computer right now because he's like, oh my God, you can do all these things, all the things I imagined you can do. And yeah, some of them rightfully okay, like the clone army, as I mentioned, you can create lots and lots of clones with only having about four people on the set, uh, which is the perk of... Or zero, because they were all CGI. Yeah, That's exactly. That, 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 that... <laughs> <laughs> exactly, see, even that, none. Uh, none on set at all, just so many. And I think the shot that sticks with me the most, and it's a picture that I've sent on the back of a DVD once um, for Attack of the Clones, it looks almost like the... I keep thinking they substitute the Clone Wars like poster art or something like a picture of the clone trooper looks just like something from the clone wars it's that animated it looks that weird 
because obviously it's early 2000s technology at this stage that you're like looks a bit strange and obviously looking back on it now we've got much better cgi to reference with but yeah the film essentially we see the birth of the stormtroopers but not as stormtroopers and essentially how they will become a valid weapon in the war uh, as we go on so jack give us some more specifics on attack of the clones so obviously attack of the clones is the second prequel film and it was released may 16th 2002 which was the 20th anniversary yesterday to the day we're recording this, and I did re-watch it yesterday, so it's fresh in my mind. It was directed and written by George Lucas once again, music by John Williams again as well, of course. So we have Ewan McGregor returning as Obi-Wan Kenobi, we have Natalie Portman returning as Padme Amidala, and we have a new actor playing uh, Anakin Skywalker. It has been 10 years since The Phantom Menace, and we now have Hayden Christensen as Anakin Skywalker. People have uh, mixed opinions on Hayden's performance as Anakin, especially in this film. Personally, he did his best with what he was given, uh, and he definitely does much better in Revenge of the Sith. We have uh, Ian McDermott returning as Palpatine, Samuel L. Jackson as Mace Windu. He's also given more to do in this film. We have Sir Christopher Lee introduced as Count Dooku turned turn Sith Lord Darth Tyrannus. Anthony Daniels back as C-3PO. Kenny Baker as R2-D2 again, Frank Oz as Yoda, and we have Tamir Morrison as Jango Fett and the Clone Troopers. It's introduced in this film that Jango Fett was the template for the Clone Army, and he, his one condition, as well as his uh, pay, is one unaltered clone for himself to raise as a son, which means we get the origins of Boba Fett in this film. A lot of people didn't like this as well, because they thought Boba should remain a mysterious character. However, I think that it's good to see that in this film, he's played by Daniel Logan, who plays obviously the younger clone troopers as well in this film. And you get to see, I think it's a nice thing to say that this character that was so mysterious underneath is actually nothing special, which I think is actually a better lesson. And it's actually covered more in the Clone Wars show where being the same, does not mean you are the same. You know, you, if you have an identical twin, you're not the same as your twin, and that still applies to clone troopers. You have your own personality, your own beliefs, and things like that, especially when it comes to Boba, because he's unaltered, he's not, he has no growth acceleration, he's not been made less independent like the other clone troopers have. Mm. He's an exact just clone unaltered of Django Fett, so he can become like his father Django, it, or he can become his own person, which we do get to see in the original trilogy and the new Book of Boba Fett show. Yes, we also exactly. get introduced in this film to Bail Organa, which is played by Jimmy Smits. He is Leia's future adoptive father because you hear in the name Organa. Obviously, Leia was called Leia Organa in the originals because she was adopted by um, Brie and Bail Organa in at the end of Revenge of the Sith in the next film. We also get Lena, um, what, I'm going to say this wrong, Walsman uh, as Sam Wassell, which is the other bounty hunter in this film uh, that Django teams up with on their mission to kill Padme because that's what they've been hired to do in this film. So the basic plot of the film is it's been 10 years since The Phantom Menace and the Republic is in chaos. It is splitting apart. There's a separatist movement forming under the former Jedi Count Dooku. 
Dooku has left the Jedi Order. Once again, it's also covered in the Plagueis novel. Dooku left the Jedi Order because he felt that the Jedi were stifled by answering to the Senate. They can't help people because the Senate has to vote first and the Senate is full of corrupt politicians that are self-serving. So he wanted to create his own version of the Republic with the separatist movement that would be more fair. But because he teamed up with Darth Sidious to do this, he's essentially being manipulated and indoctrinated into the Sith ways and being used in this film to essentially create a fake war with the clones on one side and the battle droids from the last film on the other side. This film obviously begins the Clone Wars. It ends with the Clone Wars being named by Yoda. And we don't actually see the Clone Wars really in this film or in, a, in Revenge of the Sith. It's the end of the Clone Wars in Revenge of the Sith, and it's the, the very beginning in Attack of the Clones, which people were disappointed by when this film came out, especially because the name is Attack of the Clones, and the clones don't really attack. If anything, they rescue the Jedi in this film and then have a little bit of fighting, and then that's the end of the film. So Yeah, to be honest, the Attack of the Clones doesn't actually happen until, like, <laughs> the end of Revenge of the Sith, uh, which, you know, I wouldn't have had that film named any other way. But quite frankly, if you, we're into labelling chapter points on DVD or Blu-ray, uh, like some films do, uh, I think that one should definitely, I don't know if it ever was, but it should definitely be called Attack of the Clones. <laughs> what, you mean, what, you mean Order 66? In yes, yeah, rather than Order 66, it'll be called, um, actually, no, Order 66 should just be subtitled Order 66. Attack of the clones. The clones actually attack now. Yes, please do it. <laughs> um, so this film uh, also establishes the re the building relationship between Padme and Anakin. They have not seen each other in 10 years and they end up going due to the attacks on Pad the attempts on Padme's life. They travel back to Naboo with Anakin as her protector and they slowly start falling for each other because Anakin never forgot Padme from when he was a kid, and Padme never forgot Anakin either. But obviously, she's uh, reluctant because Jedi can't for form attachments, which means Anakin shouldn't be doing this. And Padme seems to think that as a senator, she shouldn't be doing things that are against the rules, such as, you know, falling in love with a Jedi. So that's the conflict between the two of them, as well as their political ideals, you know. Anakin uh, has some ideas that sound very dictatorshipy when they talk about politics with each other. And obviously An uh, Padme is against the vote in the Senate during this film, which is about the creation of the Grand Army of the Republic, which would allow people to join the military uh, against the, the forming separatist alliance, which obviously she's against because she wants peace in the galaxy. What ends up happening in this film while she's away Jar Jar it takes her place in the Senate, which is a bit surprising, and he convinces everybody, so technically it's Jar Jar's fault, that <laughs> Chancellor Palpatine is voted emergency powers, which means he can make decisions without Senate approval. And the first act he makes, because they've now discovered this secret clone army that's been made for them, it's all very suspicious, he can now say, I am, create I am now allowing the act for a grand army to be allowed because yes. the act has passed it means that the clones can instantly be put into that role without enlisting people unlike stormtroopers in the future which are a mix of clones 
that have eventually phased out and just being conscripted citizens from the galaxy as stormtroopers. In this film, very early on in the Clone Wars, all the soldiers, barring the officers, are clone troopers, uh, including, we'll see in the Clone Wars show, for instance, from 2008, even the prison staff and security on the lower levels of Coruscant are clone troopers. They practically take over all infrastructure, law enforcement, anything that requires law and order or warfare, the clones take over, which is very useful when it comes to the next film because Palpatine has direct control over both the droid army and the clones. So he can just get them to do whatever he wants at will. So basically every battle in the Clone Wars was essentially fixed uh, for the most part. There was victories and losses that were designed to manipulate people into certain positions. With Revenge of the Sith, which we'll get into when we cover it, the Jedi are spread very, very thin by that movie. Over the three years of the Clone Wars, the Jedi are all across the galaxy. And of course, they're surrounded by clone troopers. Clone troopers that they don't know have secret programming to initiate any order that is given to them once a chip in their head is activated. So that's what we'll get to see in the next film. But in this film, they're just introduced as, here's an army of clones. They were ordered by a Jedi called Jedi Sifo uh, Diaz, mm. who was, was never seen in The Phantom Menace. However, it's very suspicious that this Jedi that we don't really know about ordered this clone army for the Republic. Once again, this is covered in the Plagueis novel, but he was actually best friends with Count Dooku. Mm. And the truth is, is that Count Dooku killed Sifo Diaz, assumed his identity, and ordered the army under the name Tyrannus. He also hired Jango Fett to be the template under name of Tyrannus as well. So whenever someone asks, well, who ordered the army? The answer is either Sifo Diaz or Tyrannus. No one knows that Count Dooku is Tyrannus because that's his new Sith title of Darth Tyrannus. Nobody knows. Uh, it is actually discovered by the Jedi very late into the Clone Wars, but they keep it to themselves because they realize it would be mass panic to find out this army we're using was created by the leader of the enemy. <laughs> you know, unfortunately, uh, it was a bit too little too late to find that out, which we'll get into in the next one. Anyway, we'll, we'll stick to Attack of the Clones. It's an epic piece of Star Wars cinema. It really is. I think it is. Am I correct in thinking, just quickly before I make my next point, it is the longest Star Wars film, isn't it? Or one um, of. One of us until I believe The Last Jedi beats it. Feels like the longest because Anakin and Padme's scenes are the longest. They're, they're, they're very long <laughs> and they're not, obviously, they're not written the best. They're not no. bad. No, but they could be um, better. They could, they be, could better. be better, yes. Um, so much better. The, uh, the other thing of the prequels, which we'll bring up now, is with Revenge of the Sith, I think you touched on it with the internet, is there's something called the prequel memes. Oh, God, the prequel uh, if go memes. On, if you go on the website Reddit, if you go to r slash prequel memes, that's where these all originate from. Yeah. The, there, are, there are so many quotable phrases from the prequels. The one from Attack of the Clones that is done the most... There's, well, there's actually two. There's, I don't like sand. It's coarse, rough, and irritating. It gets everywhere. <laughs> that's, uh, that's the one that Anakin says to Padme when they're oh, talking about uh, sand on Naboo. Uh, he, he then goes on to touch Padme and say that everything here is soft, which is a bit off-putting. It's, it's a bit weird. Um, 
And then the next quoted one, when Anakin, during this film, he travel, he keeps having dreams about his mother dying. So they travel to Tatooine to find her. Turns out she was bought and then freed by a man called Klieg Lars. So they travel to the Lars homestead, which is where Luke grew up in the originals. And they meet Uncle, the future Uncle Owen. They meet Owen and uh, Owen Lars and Baru Whiteson, uh, who is his girlfriend at the time, as well as Klee Lars. And they find out that Shmi was kidnapped by Sand People, which are renamed to Tuscan Raiders in this film, which I, which I suppose is their real name, which I guess makes Sand People a slur uh, that locals use against the Tuscan Raiders, um, which is an interesting thing that they establish in this film. And Anakin goes off to find his mother. He's obviously very emotional about it because he's have, having dreams of her. He finds her and uh, she dies in his arms and he yeah. starts to... The first time he goes dark side, you even hear Qui-Gon's voice saying, Anakin, no, in the background. And Yoda can sense something's going wrong with Anakin. Mm -hmm. And Anakin kills the, uh, the sand people. He also including everybody in this entire village. And that's the line that's quoted, because he, when he's angrily telling this to Padme in the film, he says, you know, I slaughtered them like, you know, I, I didn't just kill the men, I killed the women and the children too. They're animals and I slaughtered them like animals. I hate them and all that. And he's very angry about it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Not just the men, but the women and children too are, is a very common quoted <laughs> yeah. meme. You know, they with with the new show like The Mandalorian, they did like it's not just the Mandalorians, but the Mandal, you know, the the women the women Delorians and the children Delorians too. Like <laughs> it's just it's it's very weird. It is. It but is the, so weird. The, um, there's a lot more to quote from Revenge of the Sith. Like this is oh. where the fun begins. But yes, the the origin of the prequel memes. It, I think it's mostly in this film. You obviously have I'll try spinning. That's a good trick from the Phantom Menace. Yeah. But most of the internet culture, which is, I think, why these films are so beloved now by today's generation, yeah, is because of the culture of the internet and how ridiculous we all are on there. Yeah, the, the fact that these films are ridiculous allows them to be loved more. I mean, you'll notice me doing it. Hello there. I mean, that is in the originals, but it's also in Revenge of the Sith. Yes, it is indeed. And you oh. and. Uh, and I've been looking forward to this is a line from Count Dooku in Revenge of the Sith as well. So these, these things ha are said uh, and quoted by the Star Wars community all the time. Because these, yes. films, these films are loved yeah. by, uh, by the, the thing. But what I will mention, what, talking about Anakin killing the Sam people, that's actually one of my favorite scenes precedes that. But Anakin goes off to find his mother on a speeder bike and you get a very beautiful musical piece and you see Anakin very emotional on the speeder riding at sunset through the dune sea of, of Tatooine, talking to Jawas, basically trying to find out where the Tusken Raider camp is. But the I've always loved that scene from Attack of the Clones, him on the speeder, the music. It is shot so beautifully, yeah, isn't it? Is it? It's very... That's if I think when I think of Attack of the Clones, I think of that scene. I, as a kid, I would rewind that scene because of the music. To be honest, because of yeah. what's happening. So, yeah. so the most the famous thing that Attack of the Clones is known for is the Attack of the Clones part. And what we get in in this film is Obi Wan, while tracking Jango Fett, is how he discovers the clone army. Jango was hired to kill Padme. Obi Wan discovers who he is and tries to follow him. 
he finds him to, he follows him to the planet Geonosis, where Count Dooku is forming the separatist movement and a new army of battle droids is being built in a massive droid factory. Obi-Wan contacts Anakin and tells the also the Jedi Council what's happening. Of course, the Jedi are surprised that their former friend Count Dooku has become evil, essentially. You know, they just thought, oh, he's a political idealist. He wouldn't kill anybody. It's not in his character, but it turns out it definitely is. So they travel to Geonosis. Uh, so does Padme and Anakin. They leave Tatooine. They even take C-3PO back that, that was left with Shmi in, in the last film. They get to the factory and Anakin, Obi-Wan and Padme are all individually captured while they are looking around. So there's now the big arena scene in the film. They are in an arena, they're both each tied to a pole, and they have a creature, an individual creature each, you know, how lucky of them, that is going to kill them. So we have Obi-Wan versus the uh, Ackley, we have uh, Anakin versus the Reek, which is like a rhino, and we have uh, Padme against a Nexu, which is this like multiple-eyed, I don't know, cat-dog monstrosity with lots of teeth. Padme actually manages to climb up on top of her pillar and get a nice swing kick onto the Nexu. And the Jedi obviously use their uh, powers and abilities to escape their traps as well. During this scene, they all manage to get together. Anakin uses the force ability Beast Trick, which is allowed you to control animals uh, on the Reek. So they're all riding around and they get surrounded by droidicas that were in the last film. Then from the shadows comes Mace Windu, Igniting his lightsaber, the first purple lightsaber uh, ever seen in the star in a Star Wars film. I'm pretty there sure it's been, the only purple, isn't it's, it? It's the only, yeah, it's the only purple lightsaber seen on screen in an official Star Wars piece of media. They have been seen in in the expanded universe, the comics, the novels, like the character of Mara Jade had a purple or magenta blade, so it had already been done before. Yeah. But Mace Windu. Uh, was the first. Now, interesting fact about that that many people do know, but many of you watching may not. When talking about lightsaber colors, there's a, it's even on video on the uh, extras for Attack of the Clones on the DVD and Blu-ray. Mace Windu says, oh, who do I talk to about getting my light color? And George tells him, well, if your bad guys have red, good guys have green or blue. And uh, he goes, purple? No, no purple lightsaber? And George goes, you might get purple. And then he you know, looks at the camera and smiles. So that's how uh, Samuel L. Jackson's character of Mace Windu got a purple lightsaber. He basically asks for it and George <laughs> let him. Many Jedi get killed off and they get surrounded. They refuse to surrender and the droids are about to kill them. That's when the clones finally attack and save the Jedi. Of course, the Separatists are freaking out. Where did the Republic get an army from? Of course, Count Dooku pretends he's surprised as well, but he knows full well where it's from, he ordered the army. It's also revealed that the Geonosians, which are the bug creatures that live on Geonosis that were creating the droids, have developed the plans for the future Death Star. Oh, yeah. uh, so Dooku then goes to escape to Coruscant, the capital of the Republic. Why would he travel there? Well, he's going to travel there to keep the plans safe with his masters. So he's going to travel there. And that's when we get the climax of the film where Anakin and Obi-Wan dual Count Dooku. During this fight, Anakin obviously shows his impatience, which is, a, which is throughout this film, and he gets attacked by Dooku. 
Dooku is also the first person outside of Sidious to use Force Lightning on screen. He's obviously a very he was obviously a very old, powerful Jedi. So he also has powerful uh, Sith abilities now that he's turned to the dark side. He uses a unique lightsaber as well. It has a curved hilt. Oh, um, I love I love that one. Obviously, Anakin and Obi Wan have a fight with him. Obi Wan gets subdued, and then Anakin faces off with him. During their fight, Count Dooku cuts Anakin's right arm off. Oh, here we is, go. So Anakin, so <laughs> it's the first limb Anakin loses, just like well, poetry so that they rhyme when Vader cuts Luke's arm off in Empire Strikes Back. It's not my favourite film, I will say this outright now. It's got some good moments, and obviously there's the memes and all the quotable moments. Um, but I loved Count Dooku's lightsaber as a prop. It's great. I love it Count... was my favourite as a kid. I think he his presence and his just general character as well was just so, you know, it, like even more than Darth Maul. And Darth Maul was epic. I would say that, you know, he definitely, because, you know, Sir Christopher I mean, Lee, legend that he is. He's also an old man in the cape. So. Well, yeah, he is. But no, <laughs> I, I would argue he's an old man in a hood. That's my definition oh, okay. of that one. He's not an old man in a cape, but I love, um, no, I do love Christopher Lee. It's Sir Christopher Lee's portrayal of Count Dooku. And, you know, I remember having the action figure as a kid, the very small 3.75 inch action figure with his little, with his um, very shiny cloak. But no, um, I love the battle between them two. It's, you know, it's it, it, what it is. It is fine. But, you know, it's not the best, but it's not terrible at the same time. But the film itself it is very much a second movie. It is one-upping the first one, or at least trying to. But for me personally, I would... Now, I'm going to add this in now early on, is I'm going to say that I'd rate this probably, and I'm going by the, the 0.5 scale, I would rate this 3.5. Because I love the stuff with the clones and Django Fett and the Burfoot. I actually didn't mind the Boba Fett origin story, as it were. I quite, I didn't mind it. But specifically, Django Fett as a character was my favourite, up with Count Dooku. But I do think that it's not really, it is a big CGI fest in places. It does have really good shots at points, like the one you mentioned on um, Tatooine. But at the end of the day... It's not my favourite film. It's one that I will pick moments from, but I won't rush to watch. Although, like you, I watched it the other day because it was the, 20 uh, years since it came one out. Thing, one thing we did skip over when Padme was being attacked at the beginning of the film, after cause the, the film opens with her ship blowing up, but the next attempt on her life is Sam uh, Wassell sending this little droid to put these poisonous worm creatures into her room an attacker, obviously Anakin saves her and Obi-Wan jumps out of the window onto the droid. The, uh, and then you end up getting a speeder chase between uh, Anakin uh, and Obi-Wan in the passenger, uh, passenger seat and Sam in her personal speeder trying to run away from them. And that scene it pays uh, homage to Blade Runner. It's very, it all looks very Blade yes. Runner. It's Coruscant no, at night time. Absolutely. They go to the industrial district, which is yeah. fire and uh, power couplings that Anakin and uh, Obi-Wan get caught in. I remember in the Lego game, you had to go through that like three times. Like you'd get <laughs> yeah. trapped. You'd have yeah. to like, get so many hits on, on Zam before you could go on to the next bit. But yeah. the, that scene I really like. And also another, a few just fun facts thing. Once they get onto the ground and shoot Zam down and they go to the nightclub, you actually see there's actually a lot of cameos that you may not have noticed and whenever they whenever something happens where they cut to the audience like obi-wan cutting zam's uh, arm off when she tries to shoot him in the back at the yeah. uh, at the bar you see reactions from the audience you actually see 
George Lucas, one of George Lucas's daughters as a Twi'lek. You see Anthony Daniels out of the C-3PO outfit. And you also see Ahmed Best outside of the Jar Jar CGI and costume. <laughs> All of them are there yeah. in the audience. Most of the crew are, are there as well. The, yeah, and when you cut, you will notice them. So that's kind of a cool Easter egg that you, you get see, to see them outside a costume. In I'm not scene. gonna lie, I didn't, I don't think I've ever noticed that. Not gonna lie, I don't think I've ever noticed that because for me, I take I, in the whole Blade Runner esque scenery and everything. And you know, I, I feel like I'm gonna watch that now, I'm gonna watch it again. What okay. would you rate Attack so of the Clones? I, I would rate, I would rate it a three, a solid three out mm, of five. Okay, um, interesting. Yeah, I'm not gonna give it the point five because I actually prefer. A f- prefer phantom menace over it what i will say before we move on to revenge of the sith is something that happened between both movies so between uh 2002 and 2005 there was a 2d animated clone wars show which follows what anakin obi-wan and several other jedi were up to before revenge of the sith and it actually introduces a very important character to revenge of the sith which is general grievous so grievous's first introduction was in a cartoon which was in this show and he's revealed to be a very very intimidating character and he actually well they had to retcon it a little but he kills four jedi when he first shows up including a padawan called shaggy that looks like shaggy from scooby-doo uh, it's kind of funny <laughs> but, but the uh oh, but essentially he's oh, very funny. intimidating he actually has a rivalry with shark t which is a member of the jedi council yes um and he it, it goes from that battle where he kills a lot of Jedi to him kidnapping Chancellor Palpatine. Now, Grievous, unlike Dooku, does not know that Palpatine is Sidious. He does not know they're the same person because he is essentially meant to be the patsy for the war. Like, oh, no, all the atrocities the Separatists did that were evil, that was Grievous's fault. That's essentially what Grievous's is, is, is role is to Dooku and Sidious is that he's a fool guy. Of course, Dooku doesn't know he's also going to be killed off. But yes, so it is interesting that Grievous was introduced in this show, much like Boba Fett was first introduced in the Star Wars Holiday Specials uh, animated show as well. Yeah, it's funny um, because I never actually, because I never saw the show when it first came out. I knew about him, his existence from the trailers and also from the toys the action figures as well they made of him as well but i didn't know anything about him so obviously for some people it was more obvious to me i just thought he was this cool multiple armed guy with multiple lightsabers that's and that is related to one of the famous memes of all time of star wars fandom which jack has referenced already the immortal hello there <laughs> general kenobi uh, but the other the other meme that grievous has is obviously uh fight uh your lightsabers will make a fine addition to my collection, which he also says in Revenge of the Sith. Yes. Um, because Grievous kills Jedi. He is known as the Jedi Hunter, and he kills Jedi and takes their lightsabers as trophies and then wields them against Jedi. Well, we'll move on to Revenge of the Sith, so um, I'll introduce you, I suppose. So Revenge of the Sith is obviously episode three. It's the final prequel. It was released May 19th in 2005. Once again, directed and written by George Lucas with music by John Williams again. Once again, starring Ewan McGregor as Obi-Wan Kenobi, Natalie Portman back as Padme, Hayden back as Anakin, Ian back as Sheev Palpatine, Mace Windu is once again played by Samuel L. Jackson, Christopher Lee's back as Count Dooku, Anthony's back as C-3PO, Kenny's back as R2-D2, although not that much because most of the time 
part two is CGI'd in this film. Frank Oz is back as Yoda. Matthew Wood does the voice of General Grievous. And to this day, still does the voice of General Grievous in the Clone Wars show. And of course, we then have Tamir Morrison back as, not as Jango Fett, because he was beheaded in the last film. Forgot to mention that. While Boba watched, by the way, Mace Windu cuts his head off. So Revenge of the Sith opens with the battle over Coruscant. Grievous, as I mentioned, has kidnapped Chancellor Palpatine and is holding them aboard his capital ship, the Invisible Hand. Dooku is also aboard this ship. Uh, you get to see Anakin and Obi-Wan flying their Jedi interceptors, which is my favorite ship in all of Star Wars, by the way, above Coruscant, destroying vulture droids, which return from the Phantom Menace, as well as a bunch of other fighters uh, as well. Uh, you get to see clone troopers in, uh, in their ships, the uh, ARC-170 starfighters, which look like prototype X-wings. They have fold-up wings the same way X-wings do. So you can see that the technology is evolving. Even Anakin and Obi-Wan's Jedi interceptors have twin ion engines, just like TIE fighters. So you can see the technology is catching up. Of course, there is 19 yeah. years between this movie and A New That's Hope. One. So Obi-Wan and Anakin managed to survive the space battle just about. Yeah, just about. Buzz droids <laughs> nearly cut Obi-Wan's ship apart and they get aboard the ship. They find Count Dooku and have their lightsaber duel with him, which is where some of the memes come from. Like, my powers have doubled since the last time we met Count. And Count Dooku responds with, good, try, uh, twice the pride, double the fool. That's a big uh, quoted thing as well. So is uh, do it, which is what uh, yes, Palpatine tells Anakin to do. Do it. During, basically during the fight, uh, Obi-Wan is knocked unconscious and Count Dooku is bested by Anakin when he gives into his rage and anger. He cuts uh, Count Dooku's ha both hands off and yeah. holds both his own and Dooku's lightsaber crossed execution style over Dooku's head. And Palpatine goes, very good, Anakin, kill him. Turns and looks at him, surprised because of yeah. course, that's not the plan. Isn't the plan that all three of us rule the galaxy together? And like, in nope. those final moments, Dooku realizes that he was just a placement holder for Anakin as the true Sith apprentice. And Anakin, after being told to do it, cuts Dooku's head clean off. Clean. We kind of see it also roll away as well. It's, it's sort of our focus, but you do see it. It's a nice graphic image for you it's guys. The only... you, you go from like serious origin story with a bit of a weird, jokey alien. You get serious negotiations and clone armies and slight cartoonishness. And then you get to this point and you get everything from pregnancy, beheadings and death of children all in one go. Yes, that's that's also one thing. The, a lot of the silliness is removed from this film, even though the battle droids are definitely more comic relief in this film than they were. in. The but Jar Jar is not in this film. He is at the funeral for Padme. Padme dies in this film. Mm. Um during childbirth of Luke and Leia, which does create a potential plot hole once again, because Leia mentions in Return of the Jedi that she has memories of her mother. And she goes, oh, I have memories of my mother, but she was, I, you know, my only memories of her being very sad. Now, people try to say that because of Leia's force abilities, that she can remember things as a child that you wouldn't normally be able to remember. And of course, Padme was very sad in the moments that Leia witnessed her because she was crying out for Anakin and then dying, essentially dies of sadness. Of course, the joke was she was surrounded by medical equipment and they did nothing to save her. But essentially, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Padme dies because 
essentially because she's not relevant to the plot anymore, but also it's part of uh, Anakin's motivation in this film. His turn to the dark side ultimately is to save Padme's life. This is where we get the introduction of Darth Plagueis as a character where Palpatine tells Anakin about the, have you ever heard the tale of Darth Plagueis the Wise? Uh, and then Anakin's like, no. Now, that should have been a big hint that he's a Sith Lord because, remember, the Sith have been extinct for a thousand years. So how does he know this story if he wasn't the Sith Lord? But essentially, the conversation is about Plagueis learned to manipulate the Metachlorians to create life. Now, of course, that intrigues Anakin because Anakin was created by the Force. He has no father. His mother gave birth to him, but he has no father. So it was hinted that either Plagueis or Sidious created Anakin. Uh, the truth is ambiguous in canon, but in the novel, it's explained that Plagueis tried to manipulate the Metachlorians and the Force fought back. And it ha so happens that when Anakin is met, it's exactly, I think I, I said Anakin was nine. So I think it's exactly nine years after Plagueis did that manipulation with the Force that Anakin shows up and it's like, hold on a minute, maybe the Force did fight back against my dark side manipulations to create someone that would bring balance to the Force. But the biggest takeaway from their conversation is that apparently he had the power to save others from death. Essentially, during this film, he's having the dreams again, the nightmares of, a fam of someone he cares about dying. And this, in this case, it's Padme. And he's dreaming of Obi-Wan being there and witnessing Padme die in childbirth, which is exactly what happens in this film. He wants to save Padme at all costs. What's uh, making the problem you know, more of an issue is Anakin can't tell anyone about this because he shouldn't be married and he can't admit that he's the father of Padme's children. So Yoda gives him basically some absolutely terrible advice for someone in Anakin's position, but it is Jedi advice, which is train yourself to let go of everything you fear to lose. Don't feel grief for those who die and transform into the force because Jedi philosophy is that everyone enters the, you know, the cosmic force when they die. So Yoda's philosophy is don't worry about it. You know, they're going into the force. It's, you know, it's, it's the natural order of life, but of course, Anakin can't accept that, which leads him further down the path. The other plot in this film is that Anakin is put on the Jedi Council at the request of Palpatine and is not promoted to Jedi Master. Now, a recommendation I would make is read the Revenge of the Sith novelization because it goes through Anakin's thoughts during this thing. So while he's you know, going to the Jedi Temple, it, a Jedi Master can go to the restricted section in the Jedi archives where they keep very powerful Jedi artifacts and Sith artifacts that are captured and stored there for safety. Of course, he thinks that there'll be answers to saving Padme's life in the restricted section. And if he's a master, he can go straight there. But the minute Mace Windu says, you're on this council, but we do not grant you the rank of master, Anakin's uh, vision in his head of running straight down to the archives is gone. He's instantly brought back to reality, and that's why his reaction is so bitter in this scene, because he's like, what? You know, how can you not make me a master and be on the council? Yeah. It's unheard of. And also, to make that matters worse, the only reason they allowed him to be a member is so they could spy on Palpatine, because Palpatine has not given up the emergency powers that he was given by 
the Senate and by extension Jar Jar in the last film. There's a lot deleted from this film, but Padme is, you know, trying to write a bill called, I think it's called the, the Alliance of the 3000, where people want to vote, you know, the negotiations resume and the war is put on hold because it's, there's too much death happening in the galaxy. It's time for us to negotiate and stop killing each other. The problem is, I mean, you'll see it in the Clone Wars show if you watch it, every time Padme tries to do this, something happens and it goes wrong because Sidious can't allow that. You know, the war must continue until the, the optimum point. Yeah, no, exactly. Which you'll see in this film, Anakin and Padme have a few arguments. They have good moments too, but their main argument is, you know, Anakin's like, you're starting to sound like a separatist because Padme's saying, you're close to the chance that, you know, tell him to do this, do that. And uh, Anakin's like, don't ask don't ask me of, mm. ask that of me. You know, I'm already being told to do this other things I don't like by the Jedi Council. And, and obviously the Jedi Council don't trust Anakin either because he's very close friends with Palpatine. Obi-Wan, of course, trusts Anakin, but Mace Windu, let's, you know, in the last film, he even brought up the prophecy and said, you know, if the prophecy is true, your apprentice is the only one that can bring the force back into balance. In this film, he questions like, that's what the prophecy says. I believe that in the three years of war, Mace has lost faith in the prophecy and of Anakin. After knowing him for so long, he doesn't trust Anakin or trust the prophecy anymore. And obviously that all like all of yeah. this pushes him over the edge and we get to the end of like, so obviously he's wit's end and eventually it is revealed <laughs> that who Palpatine really is. And obviously, as you mentioned, linking back to what you said at the beginning about people not being quite sure whether he was or wasn't going to be the big bad guy at the end of it. And was still, even though they're now looking back on it, it's quite obvious. This was the point where I think me personally, when I watched the film originally, I was like, Oh, oh, oh I was really excited. Uh, and the film itself for me personally, Revenge of the Sith really stands out because it's the one I remember the most. I actually, I think I said, I didn't see any of these in the cinema. I tell a lie. I did see this one in the cinema i went to see this one in the cinema if i remember correctly um and i definitely remember the hype of waiting for it to come on dvd so i could watch it again the other thing another quote which i'll bring up is the uh unlimited power uh, <laughs> from palpatine at a later stage when we get to the final reveal yeah. and that little battle that we have you know we have you mentioned mace windu briefly as well obviously he's seen yes. a bit more in this film uh that little showdown actually is probably one of my highlights even though it's the demise of windu is one of my highlights from revenge of the sift along with obviously not because i a dear child killing but along with the the younglings being slaughtered by anakin uh that, that, i mean it's a highlight in itself because it's a moment in the film it's a big moment uh but the battle between the little sort of jedi battle between so some Je fellow jedi masters and mace windu and palpatine that's one of my favorite scenes but specifically the moments between Windu and Palpatine and, you know, the death of Windu really just sort of hit hard because, you know, he was a badass at heart and he went down hard with his purple lightsaber in hand. Um, but yeah, I love that scene in particular, along with obviously the earlier stuff, which we've already touched on with um, General Grievous uh, and Obi-Wan so Kenobi. I think, I think, uh, I think we'll, we'll, we'll continue with General Grievous. So um, obviously Grievous escapes from the beginning of the film after Dooku's killed, Anakin... Uh, Obi-Wan and Palpatine are recaptured by Grievous, but they manage to escape. And so does Grievous. They crash land on the planet, and that's when it's revealed that Padme's pregnant. Uh, then all the events of the, 
you know, joining the council and stuff happens. During the conversation with about Darth Plagueis the Wise, Palpatine mentions that the clone intelligence units have discovered the location of Grievous on the planet Utapau and requests that Anakin lead the campaign. But they say, you know, General Grievous is a Jedi killer after all, and they send Obi-Wan alone to deal with it. Now, logically speaking, they should have just sent the two of them. I don't know why they didn't, but they want Anakin around to spy on the Chancellor to see what his reaction to Grievous being potentially finally put a stop to because earlier in the film Palpatine says that the Senate will continue vote to continue the war as long as Grievous is still alive so if Obi-Wan can kill Grievous it means that the war would essentially be over because true diplomacy could resume because the warmongering Grievous would be dead Obi-Wan goes to Utapal alone this is also the last time Anakin and Obi-Wan see each other as friends they complement each other and he says, goodbye, old friend, may the force be with you. And then Obi-Wan leaves. This is the very last time that they see each other as Anakin and Obi-Wan. The next time they see each other, Anakin has fallen to the dark side. So this is the last time that they see each other as the brothers or former father-son relationship, turned brothers relationship that they have. That's the, end, the, the final scene of that. What we then get is Obi-Wan on Utapal speaks to the locals and says, you know, if you have warriors, now's the time to, to fight because I've got my clones with me. We're also introduced to Commander Cody, which is the first time we see a clone that actually has a name. But the, this is the first time we see the clones as more individuals. The clones also, their armor has been updated to phase two clone armor, which looks closer to stormtroopers, but we're still not there yet. Obi-Wan, of course, confronts Grievous with the hello there. So we then get the clones engage the droids and Obi-Wan engages Grievous, where it's revealed for the first time that Grievous has four arms, not just the two he's been using throughout the film, and that he uses lightsabers. Of course, if you watch the original Clone Wars show, you knew this already, but to audience, most audiences, they didn't know. So now that Obi-Wan has engaged General Grievous, that's now been told on clone intelligence and Anakin goes to inform the Chancellor. So he travels there and he decides to reveal that he's a Sith Lord to Anakin. Anakin, of course, has mixed feelings about killing him because not only is he a close friend or is meant to be a close friend, he also has the power to save Padme, or supposedly he does. So he's very conflicted, but he decides to go back to Mace Windu and remain loyal to the Jedi and tell him that Sidious will not give up emergency powers, that Palpatine is Sidious, and he won't give up emergency powers because he's a Sith Lord. And it's the one that obviously they've been looking for uh, throughout the war. Mace decides rather stupidly, I might add, that he and uh, several Jedi Masters will confront Palpatine alone. Why didn't he bring Anakin with him? I know he says that Anakin feels conflicted and says, if you remain here and what you said was true, you gained my trust. The problem is, and this is why I say uh, Mace has lost faith in the prophecy, is that if Mace truly believed that only Anakin can bring balance to the Force, then Anakin needs to be there. Otherwise, they can't defeat Palpatine. Because if the prophecy is true, the only person that can bring balance to the Force is Anakin. So by not taking him, he's basically sealing their fate as that they're going to lose. So I've always thought that was interesting. But he travels there with uh, Kit Fisto, Sassy Tin and uh, Agent Kolar, 
and they engage Palpatine, and Palpatine reveals his lightsaber, yes. and they have a fight. <laughs> he kills the other three Jedi very quickly. Kit Fisto lasts, you know, five about seconds. five seconds. The other two <laughs> yeah. don't last at all. The other two get killed instantly, and uh, Mace and Palpatine go at it. Anakin, after sitting in the Jedi Temple and using the Force to sense Padme uh, all alone he re- uh, in her house, he decides he can't sit there. He needs to make a decision. So he travels to the Chancellor's office, just as Mace Windu has got. Char- uh, they've broke the window, they're on the, the ledge, and he's kicked Palpatine's lightsaber out of the window. So he's now at the mercy of Mace with the blade to his throat. When he arrives... Palpatine tries to say, I, you know, I told you it was come to this, the Jedi are taking over. And it's because the Jedi have decided that if they have, if Palpatine won't give up emergency powers, the Jedi would temporarily take control of the Senate to have a peaceful transition. Of course, because Anakin is no longer trusting of the Jedi and thinks there's some sort of conspiracy going on that he's not aware of, the manipulations by Palpatine seem more honest than they, have, of course, actually are. And then he decides to use force lightning against Mace Windu and Anakin has a choice to make. The lightning is then reflected onto Sidious. During this confrontation, Palpatine pretends that he can't go on any longer and he's weak and he's going to die. And obviously he looks quite horrific now. Uh, And then Mace decides to make the same decision that Anakin did at the start of the film with Dooku. Killing an unarmed prisoner is not the Jedi way. And Anakin regretted killing Dooku, especially because Dooku could have told them about the Sith Lord they were looking for. So he really shouldn't have killed him. And obviously now it's too late. But Mace decides to be a hypocrite in this moment. And I'm going to end this once and for all. And then Anakin says, you can't. It's not the Jedi way. He must live. Now in the novelization, instead of saying, I need him, he actually says, I need him to save Padme. He actually says the full line. And Mace is not stopped by this line, and he goes to strike Palpatine. That's when Anakin makes his decision. He ignites his blade, cuts Mace Windu's arm off, which causes him to drop his lightsaber because his limb and lightsaber go out the window. And that's when Palpatine does the unlimited power line where he kills Windu because Windu no longer has a defense against Force Lightning because unlike Yoda, he can't, he's not a powerful enough Jedi to use the force ability to diminish to absorb lightning. Mace can't do that without a lightsaber, so he gets killed and thrown out the window. I'm really hoping this doesn't date the video because I really don't want Mace Windu to return to Star Wars and it turns out he was alive all along. So as far as I'm concerned, he's he's dead. dead. Okay, look, I don't mind Maul coming back. I don't mind Boba coming back, but can you just leave Mace Windu dead? Especially in this scene, this makes Anakin's choice more meaningful. He made a decision to be a Jedi in that moment. Hmm. His, la- his first act in servitude of the Sith was actually a very Jedi thing. It was to save an unarmed prisoner. Unfortunately, who he saved was the Sith Lord that's going to rule the galaxy. Uh, after this, Anakin is obviously very remorseful. He's like, what have I done? And Sidious, obviously, now he's not Palpatine anymore. I'm just going to call him Sidious because that's who he is. He says to Anakin, you know, become my apprentice, learn to use the dark side of the force. And Anakin agrees to do whatever he asks as long as he helps save Padme's life. And then he goes, oh, the, you know, the force is strong with you. A powerful Sith you'll, be- you'll become. Henceforth, you shall be known as Darth Vader. So he gets his name 
and then that's it. A lot of people who have not watched the originals, who watch chronological, people know who Darth Vader is because of pop culture. But most people who watched the prequels first and didn't grow up with the originals found that scene almost as surprising as I am your father from Empire Strikes Back. It was like, hold on a minute, Anakin's Darth Vader? Like a lot of people, you know, were surprised by that fact. Yeah, so it's discovering a... it for the first yeah. time really, isn't so it? You'll, you'll see a yeah. few reaction videos and things online of people who didn't watch the originals and are watching chronologically rather than release order and finding that out. What happens next is Anakin is told to go to the Jedi Temple and kill the Jedi, which is how Order 66 begins. So briefly covered earlier, the clones have chips in their head, the inhibitor chips, that when activate at the phrase execute Order 66, they become, they become the follow any order without question clones as they were described in Attack of the Clones. Yes. They then are compelled to kill their Jedi leaders. That's what the chip does. So what happens is Palpatine tells multiple clones throughout the galaxy to kill their Jedi leaders. Commander Cody attacks Obi-Wan. He fails, but you get to, you know, he just handed Obi-Wan his lightsaber and then they get blasted off a cliff face and fall into the depths of some water that saved, saves their, well, saves at least Obi-Wan's life. You don't see the creature again. Then you get to see across the Jedi, you see Ayla Secura being killed by her clones, Commander Bly, Stas Ali killed by Commander Neo on Salukamai. You see Karimundi is then killed by his clones on Maigito and so forth. Every clone around the galaxy kills their Jedi generals. And while this is happening, Anakin has marched on the Jedi Temple with the 501st Legion, which was named after the fan community, the 501st who are the national organization that wear stormtrooper armor that, that is um, accurate to the live action film. Anakin marches on the temple and kills many Jedi personally, many he knew or grew up with at the temple. And obviously we get the scene where he kills the younglings, which is something that was a bit controversial because it's harder to believe Vader's redemption in Return of the Jedi when you know he that he killed just, a bunch of kids. Yeah, he didn't <laughs> yeah. just. I mean, we saw him kill sand people, children in the last film, or at yeah. least he, we were told that he did it because we didn't see him do it. But then this is but the next in level. In this film, kind of he's thing. killing Jedi children, and of course, Padme, when she finds out, doesn't believe believe it. Like, that's um, not true because obviously they're about to have children, so that's a bit concerning. Obi Wan manages to escape and meet up with Bail Organa, and Yoda manages also to escape, being killed by Commander Gree on Kashyyyk. We may even see a younger Chewbacca. Yeah. Luckily, their plans early in the script was to have a young Han Solo, but thank God they didn't do that. God, that um, be... Can I just say, like, I feel like they rams in Revenge of the Sith, so many things were rammed into the end of it. Like, you had Wookiees, you've got all the uh, R2-D2, C-3PO, how they link up to the moments in A New Hope, all that mm. stuff there, all the bits to do with how he becomes Darth Vader and, you know, in the final I mean, this, end. I think it was a nice, it, it wrapped, this, this film definitely wraps everything up nicely. It really does contain every single thing you can possibly think of within reason, like, so, I'm, but then I feel like they didn't need Han Solo. He had no place in no, this. Thank God. He, yeah. His character doesn't, as we've said on the previous episode, his character is a rogue, a lovable rogue as well. He's a, you know, a space he did, he did swashbuckler. Need a solo movie. He did it in oh, a, yeah, yeah a solo pardon, movie. If you pardon the pun, he didn't even need a solo movie. <laughs> you know, because 
because essentially you knew everything you need to know. You Even literally Solo did. is not a bad film. But what I will say in this film, so you then during the declaration of the Empire, which is what Empire Day is that we mentioned on the last video. Yeah. Um, Obi-Wan and Yoda break into the Jedi Temple and uh, replace the homing beacon that was telling Jedi to return to the temple so they could be killed and told them all to stay away. So after that, they then watch a recording of the Jedi Temple because they see that the bodies of the many Jedi, including the younglings, have lightsaber uh, cuts, not blaster bolt injuries. And they realize that somebody in the temple used a lightsaber to kill these Jedi. And they watch the security footage, and to their dismay, they see Anakin fighting two Jedi Padawans and the Jedi Battlemaster Syndrolic uh, killing all three of them. but yes you, you get to see that and Yoda explains to Obi because Obi-Wan's like I can't you know send me to kill the Emperor I can't kill Anakin he's like my brother and Yoda explains you know the boy you trained gone he is consumed by Darth Vader because Yoda understands that Anakin is clearly just given into the dark side now especially yeah. if he's if he's able to almost emotionlessly slaughter Jedi but the reason Palpatine ordered Anakin to do this was to not only enhance his dark side powers, but to prove that he had crossed the truly crossed the line. You know, he kills many other Jedi. So obviously, Anakin was sent to Mustafar to kill the Separatist leaders, where his eyes changed color briefly, which we explained. And Obi Wan tells Pat asks Padme, "Do you know where Anakin is? You're close to him. Do you know?" And then he, you know, works out or finally admits out loud that he knows that they're a couple and that he's the father of Padme's children. Padme then flies to Mustafar because Anakin told her where he was going, and Obi-Wan stows away aboard the ship. During this time, Yoda goes to the Palpatine's office and starts a fight with Palpatine. You know, we basically cut between Yoda and Palpatine fighting and Anakin and Obi-Wan fighting. Yeah. We arrive at Mustafar. Padme tries to convince Anakin to come with her and leave and raise their child. At the time, she doesn't know she's pregnant with twins. She just thinks she has one child. But Anakin has fallen for the trap of the dark side, which is you always want more power. Yes. And he starts saying, I'm more powerful than the Chancellor. I can overthrow him. We can rule the galaxy together and make things the way we want them to be. And obviously Padme, as someone who actually believes in democracy, is horrified by what Anakin is saying. Yeah, which obviously ultimately leads to that death by sadness, as you say. Yes, yes. So unfortunately, Obi-Wan decides that now's the time for him to reveal himself and walk out of the ship. And take the Anakin, higher ground. Yes, <laughs> yes. Anakin <laughs> then sees Obi-Wan over Padme's shoulder and says, you know, because she says, all I want is your love. And he yells liar at her because he spotted Obi-Wan. He goes, you're with him. You brought him here to kill me. And he uses force choke, which obviously Vader is known for using, to strangle Padme, which knocks her out. And then, of course, Obi-Wan tries to reason with Anakin, and Anakin says, don't make me kill you, you know. And then battling And then Obi-Wan Obi <laughs> starts the fight. To cut a long story short, Palpatine wins against Yoda. They both, you, you know, they start with a lightsaber duel, but then they both lose their lightsabers and start using the Force. But Palpatine wins, and Yoda is picked up by Bale, and they escape, and he decides he needs to go into exile, which eventually leads to him being on Dagobah during Empire Strikes Back. You then see uh, on Mustafar, Anakin and Obi-Wan are having a massive fight on this lava planet. 
it goes back to, all the way back to the original backstory of Vader and Obi-Wan, where their final duel was on a volcano that George wrote all those years ago. And then they end up having a fight. Obi-Wan, they're, float, they're on a floating platform above lava that the miners on Mustafar. And Obi-Wan jumps off onto a higher piece of ground and tells Anakin, I have the high ground, you know, it's over. Yes. And Anakin says, you underestimate my power and jumps. And, and in this jump, uh, Obi-Wan cuts through Anakin and in this one swing removes his remaining flesh arm, his left arm and his legs in one swoop, leaving Anakin uh, a quadriplegic. He's then on the bank near the lava and Obi-Wan starts saying, you know, you were my brother, Anakin. I loved you. Anakin looks up at him and uh, is then catches on fire and starts to burn and his eyes turn yellow. Once again, Sith, and he says, I hate you, Obi-Wan. And then he burns, and he gets the same scars that we saw Sebastian uh, Shaw have in Return of the Jedi. And he's revealed, yeah. yeah. So the scars match, you know, uh, which is why the special edition change of the eyebrows being removed happened, because, of course, his eyebrows are burned off. Obi-Wan then picks up Anakin's lightsaber so he can give it to Luke in A New Hope. Apparently that was a pickup shot. They nearly forgot to do that. Oh, and uh, nearly missed out the details C-3PO, who, uh, and R2-D2, who's, R2 accompanied Anakin here, and he was left, you know, hanging out on the platform. C-3PO accompanied Padme and Obi-Wan here, and has loaded her up onto Padme's ship. Padme gives birth, and obviously dies from sadness. During this time, Palpatine collects uh, Anakin from Mustafar, and they reconstruct him into Darth Vader. And it cuts between the two. As Vader is built, as Anakin is, you know, enclosed, the final vestiges of Anakin are sealed away, Padme dies. I think it's, I think it's a theory, but I'll say it anyway. Anakin's lungs are obviously deeply affected by the burns, which is why he has a new voice and the respirator in the Vader suit. But the last thing he says, he like, you hear groaning, as the, the mask is finally load, uh, placed over his face. And you see, you, you can't really make out what he's saying. But I believe what fans believe he is saying is Padme, help. You can, you can make out help me, but the rest is sort of, it really is a stretch, but that's what people mm. believe his final words before being sealed into the suit were. No, it's quite tragic, really, when you look yes. at the ending. Like, I never thought you could uh, feel this emotional about a science fantasy series of films because, you know, at the end of the day, you know, he thought he was doing right. But in the end, he ultimately fell onto the wrong hand and onto the lower ground. Uh, yes, that was a <laughs> deliberate pun. I, I think it is quite tragic. The story of his demise is even it's more of a, you know, you end the film with this hopeful note that there is some sort of hope in these children the legacy of what was good about Anakin and especially in Padme, you know, and the fact that they will hopefully go on to have abilities, which they obviously do. Um, I mean, Padme's last words are, I, you know, Obi-Wan, there's good in him. I know there's still, and she, as she says, hope she dies. And I think, I mean, obviously this film wraps things up. So they mention Qui-Gon Jinn surviving in as a force ghost, or at least from the netherworld of the force. Uh, which is separate from the cosmic force. It's a bit confusing. That he'll he, teach Obi-Wan the way, He'll basically. teach Obi-Wan. Basically, the reason Obi-Wan knows how to become a force ghost in the originals is because Qui-Gon taught him. Yeah. Uh, and, so did, and so did Yoda. So that's where that comes from. 
you then get uh, the separation of the twins. Leia is adopted by Bale and Bria Organa and taken to Alderaan, which we see. And then we see Luke go is, off. And to... then we see Luke go off to Tatooine with Uncle with, Owen uh, and Aunt Beru. With Uncle Owen and Aunt Beru. <laughs> and the film, Obi Wan obviously leaves uh, them to it, and the film ends on the binary sunset, just like Luke looked at it. Uh, in, in the, the original, original film, film. Uh, with both uh, Owen and Baru looking out, holding Luke. Fun fact uh, is that the baby that they use for Anakin and Leia is the same. Ah. So uh, it's the same child repeated, which is why Luke is asleep when, when he hands them over, because the child had brown eyes. So Leia has brown eyes, so you get to see her face. But when, he, uh, when the child is being used as Luke, Luke's asleep because you'd see the eyes were the wrong color. The incorrect color. Yeah, that so would be a they, massive continuity. So, yeah. And obviously, if you saw it in detail, you'd probably... I know they're twins, but they probably shouldn't look that close. When, But yes, the film ends on a very nice bullet point. Just before we get that sunset, we also see what Vader's doing. And you see them looking out on the bridge, Vader and the Emperor, seeing the construction of the Death Star. It's begun. Mm. So, um, so it's it all it all wraps up nicely to link with a new hope. It does work um, really well as like a final to the series. And a lot of people will say that their favorite prequel is it's Revenge of the Sith, which yeah. I would say as well. I would say it's. I mean, if we if we want to go on to ratings, absolutely. I was going to say, what would you rate do, Revenge of the yes, Sith? If we're doing point fives, it's four point five based on my ratings from last week. Mm. However. If you add Clone Wars Season 7, the last four episodes, five out of five. Ah. I would highly, anyone who is a Star Wars fan, early Clone Wars seasons are not, they have bad episodes. It gets into its proper rhythm by Season 3, really. And yes, there are seven seasons. So, you know, there is a lot to watch, especially in the early seasons that has, I think, 22 episodes a season. But I would highly recommend watching season seven of The Clone Wars, or if you can find an edit of it mixed with Revenge of the Sith, then I would highly recommend it. Uh, and what I'll say, just to sort of cap this off, really, is that I'd rate, I would also rate it 4.5 uh, out of five stars. Uh, and I personally just, I just enjoyed it. It was just, it's very much on the same level for me as Phantom Menace, but even more enjoyable because it links up so much with the bits that we already know if you've watched the original trilogy first if you don't watch the original trilogy it's a bit like if you don't watch tv that tv the tv show uh, or any of the tv shows really that link up to the star wars universe you won't quite be as enriched in your like payoffs then as you would if you had watched them so but for me personally in the film world yeah 4.5 out of 5 it was genuinely like loads of set pieces you know mustafar is one really big element for me the battle there General Grievous is obviously the one that everyone knows because of the initial like the memes and everything in between. Um, but genuinely, like the, the moment you see Darth Vader on screen is the thing that really got me excited. I was like, oh my God, it's happened. But no, Revenge of the Sith is definitely very much like you. It is my favorite of the prequels. If I was to rate, if I was, you know, I think we've already assumed basically now that Phantom Menace and Revenge of the Sith are sort of the two players here. Attack of the Clones plays its role, but it's not the biggest one for us at least but yeah, revenge mean, as, of the sith sort of kid, takes up with it as a kid i could watch all of revenge of the sith and not be bored although well i have to admit this my first copy of revenge of the sith was a pirate copy of the test version 
of Revenge of the Sith that was sent for theaters. So it actually had a lot of the Padme and Anakin like staring off in uh, looking like in you know looking out to each other. A lot of that was removed. And when Vader's helmet is lowered down, the background in the release of the film is white and the eyes are red. Whereas the background is also red in the version I had as a kid. I distinctly remember the whole screen being red. Mm. Um, but I would say that as a kid, I could watch all of Revenge of the Sith. Attack of the Clones, I would watch the opening speeder chase. I would then skip to Django versus Obi-Wan on Kamino and then skip all the way to the end with the Geonosis fight and then obviously the Dooku lightsaber fight with maybe a break in the middle just to see that Anakin on speeder scene that I liked. Phantom Menace, very similar. The opening I would watch and then I'd skip right to the end. A lot of people love the pod racing from Phantom Menace, which I do today really I, enjoy. I as actually a kid, am, though, I'm one of as those a kid, ones. I would skip it. What's your, what's your favorite ship from Star Wars, David? I just out of curiosity. I mean, it's got to be, it's still got to be, what, overall or in the prequels? Uh, we'll say prequels. Okay, prequels. Good, yeah. Prequels makes it easier because overall it has to be the Millennium Falcon. But in the prequels specifically, I would say Anakin's ship. Anakin's ship, the, uh, the yellow one. I always forget the name of it. <laughs> so, yeah, his interceptor. That's the one, his interceptor. Because yeah. it's I the mean, one I owned as several toys. Yeah. It's the one it's I the, literally love. The, cla- the class of the ship is my favorite for sure. Maybe not Anakin specifically. I always liked... Um, yeah. I love uh, the I, dome it, shape. It looks very much yes. like the Millennium Falcon, but not, if yes, that makes has, sense. It has a few Falcon... and t- I love TIE Fighters. So the, the, it's very TIE Fighter-ish, but it's just like a, almost like a miniature one. And but as a kid, I was obsessed with, because obviously Lego released the yellow one that me and you had, but they also released a set called the Ultimate uh, Space Battle set. And it contained Anakin's, two Vulture droids, a Tri-Fighter, and Obi-Wan's. It was the yeah. only way up until I believe 2014, uh, where they did a re-release uh, with a new design, you could get Obi-Wan's red ship. I was going to say, I've I never seen today. it. Yeah, exactly. Oh, I own it today. Uh, I own jealous. both versions that I bought uh, later when, uh, when I was, uh, I think I was like 13 um, yeah. when I bought it myself oh, because I excellent. wanted it. It was very expensive off eBay. That and the V-Wing, I mean, were the two I also really wanted. I don't have the ring to this day. I do have the blue ship, but that was definitely my favorite specific ship from all of the prequels. And obviously it's, it's from this film was the blue, the blue one because it just looked cooler. It was yeah. white and blue. It, it, it did. But yeah, so um, no, Jack, it's been excellent talking about this with you. And um, that is it for the prequels. Honestly, uh, it's been one hell of a ride. And we've just got one more to do. And that is the sequel trilogy. Uh, and we'll join us on the next episode for that, please, because that's going to be a whole new kettle of fish. I guarantee it. But for now, we both have the high ground on this situation. And instead of hello there, I'm going to say bye bye there. But that sounds a little bit too preschool for us so i'll just end in the usual way of um thanking you for coming on again jack and once again just very quickly remind people of your social media links to find you online yep so i'm on uh youtube and instagram and i have a a shop on teespring so if you want to find those on youtube i'm just called jack parker i used to be called jp media so if you type in jack parker jp media that's the easiest way to find it because youtube still associates the two because there's, you know, I've got such a generic name, you know, there are millions of Jack Parkers. So then on Instagram, I'm Jack underscore Parker underscore media. 
and on Teespring, I'm Jack Parker's Art, where you can buy, if you're a fan of Star Wars, you can get some designs that I've drawn of every light, well, it's not every lightsaber, but it's nearly all the on-screen lightsabers that we see throughout the Skywalker saga, so from, uh, in chronological order, so it begins with, you know, the reveal of uh, Anakin's old lightsaber to Luke in the first Star Wars, all the way to Ray's yellow lightsaber at the end of Rise of Skywalker. Uh, also, if you're a fan of the expanded universe, I have many different designs for shirts of the character of Mara Jade, uh, turned Mara Jade Skywalker, Luke's wife. So if you're a fan of that uh, character, then, then check out the store because I have a lot of those as well. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Jack. And please do check that out, guys. But for now, that's a wrap on Take 97, the Star Wars the prequels edition in a galaxy far, far away of the podcast. And I and Jack will see you on the next episode. Thank you very much for listening, guys. I'll see you later. Bye-bye. May the force be with you.